Hi, and welcome to the 40 and Infertile podcast. I'm your host, Victoria, at 40 and Infertile on Instagram. I'm a fellow IVF patient, and this is where I share with you my fertility journey in my late 30s and 40s, while also providing you information to minimize your fertility struggles later in life. Hey, everybody, this is episode 35. Today, we're discussing international adoption with Karen Snow. She tells us about her own infertility story and shares her experience with international adoption. It's important to point out that her experience is from the perspective of being a Canadian citizen. So if you're in the US, UK, uh, or Australia, uh, where the majority of the listeners are listening from, the process may be a little different. So you'll have to check with your local government about which countries there are adoption agreements with. Um, I do um, have some links to share and I'll put them in the show notes and they might kind of link you to some um, additional resources within your country. Um, But these are some U.S. resources that I found. Um, The first thing to look into might be the Hague Convention. So um, what I found out by looking at the U.S. government's website is there are about 100 nations that are part of this Hague Convention. And um, this protects children in the process of um, inter-country adoption. So there's agreements with a bunch of different countries and your country. So you'll have to check and see uh, which countries you have agreements with. Um, I've been also wanting to speak with an adoption attorney who um, does both domestic and international adoptions. Unfortunately, um, most that I have talked to are domestic um, adoption attorneys as opposed to international. They're I haven't really been able to find any international adoption attorneys. So uh, if this is still something you're interested in, at least domestically, let me know and I can try and set that up so we can do um, an interview with a domestic adoption attorney. Um, Either way, I hope this um, episode is helpful. I know getting to this place for some people um, can be very difficult and navigating all the different pieces and nuances of this. So hopefully you find this helpful. Um, I'd love it if you could share this with someone you think might benefit from this or leave a five-star review if you found this to be valuable um, so that more people can learn ways on how to expand their family. Um, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's get started. Just a quick reminder, I am not a physician, and the information provided today is for educational and informational purposes only, and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. So make sure that you consult with your own fertility doctor before choosing any medical therapies that may affect your fertility. Unfortunately, every person's situation is unique, and it is vital that you discuss your own personal situation with your fertility doctor to decide what is the best course of action for you. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. Today we have another warrior story and we have Dr. Karen Snow. She's a naturopath out of Canada and she's here today to share her story about adoption, infertility, and kind of what infertility has taught her through her own process. So welcome to this show. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad to have you here. I mean, um, adoption is something that 
um, I've been wanting to explore for some time. I just, I feel like um, we get sucked into this whole infertility thing and um, some people end up um, choosing to build their families um, in different ways. And I haven't been able to get um, very many stories around adoption. So thank you so much for sharing your story around your adoption. Yeah, I'm happy to. I'm a strong advocate now based on our experience um, with adoption. So I'm always happy to talk about it. Yeah. So why don't we start from the beginning? Can you tell us about um, how uh, um, your infertility um, process kind of started, where you were, and then how you kind of got to um, decide adoption was the right path for you? Yeah. So even before my husband and I got married, we talked about building our family both um, biologically and through adoption. And so, you know, we just have those conversations. How, how is the family going to come to be? And we're like, oh, yeah, maybe like we'll have a couple of kids and then we'll adopt a couple of children and we'll just like build our family that way. Like it was all our going to be our decision. So adoption's kind of always been on the radar. Having a family was always on the radar, something we wanted. And um, when we first started trying to have a family, we got pregnant right away. Uh, at nine weeks, we ended up miscarrying which was a whole overwhelming experience at the time on its own. And then we just kind of assumed, hey, we got pregnant really quickly. It'll happen again. And it didn't. And so fast forward the next year, and we moved forward to pursue fertility treatments. Um, through that process, we had done a couple of rounds of the timed cycles. And then we did six rounds of IUI. And then we did two rounds of IVF um, with a total of about seven embryos that we ended up transferring. And we, we did not have a pregnancy through that entire time. So it was a long process. You can shrink it down to a sentence, but that's like, as everyone knows, going through fertility, each of those things is extremely intensive in and of itself. Um, so yeah, then we found ourselves two rounds of IVF in. And at the time I knew before transferring our last embryo, I'd kind of said to my doctor at the time, you know what, he, he wanted to do this huge extensive protocol, like the long protocol. And I just said, I'm so not going to do that. I will not do the long protocol with extensive hormones that were going to put me into menopause. And I was just so done before I'd even started my final um, transfer they said, what's the fastest, easiest, most painless way to not, um, not interfere with the likelihood of this being successful? Um, and so I just did like a more simplified protocol, knowing like I was done. So at the end of that, I just really, I know it's not a natural conclusion for many people when it doesn't end in a pregnancy, but it really did feel that way for me, for my, my husband as well. It was just like, okay, we've been slugging along for years and I just had zero reserves left to keep going. And so we just said, let's just give ourselves a few months to sit with it individually, not talk about fertility, not talk about building a family and just have it be like, let ourselves recover a little bit. And then we kind of revisited family building and what that would look like for us moving forward. And was that, what was like time from... You know, when you first started trying to, when you said, you know, I think, I think this is it. I think I'm done with fertility treatments. So that was um, in 2013. 
was when we had had our miscarriage and we finished fertility treatments in 2018. When, when you first start, how old were you when you first started? When we first started fertility treatments, I, I don't know how old was I? It was three years after, I must've been around 25. Okay. So I was actually young starting fertility treatments. I think that was one of those things Mm -hmm. that, you know, the doctor would look at me and say, Oh, you know, you're healthy. You're Mm -hmm. young. There's no Mm -hmm. obvious signs of any concerns, but, um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I was, I was young starting fertility treatments. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And did you feel like, cause being, were you a naturopath already at the time? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did you feel like, did you feel like I know what to do? I'm supposed, it's supposed to work and I'm young and like this, I don't understand. Like what is going on? Totally. Yeah. It's like, okay, I'm young. I'm healthy. I, I do. I knew all the right things. And even as we were going through fertility treatments, I'm like seeing the best, best reproductive endocrinologist in the area. I'm seeing the best naturopathic focuses in fertility. I'm like, to, at one point, I think I would count out of taking like 25 different supplements and like doing all the things you could do. But it's one of those realities that you can know all of the things you can do all of the things. And if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And if it's, if it's not like it's, you can't out supplement your way into a pregnancy. And I'm sure all of us can relate to that. Cause we, you know, you try, you do everything you can in the, in the realms of what you can control. So that was a big lesson for me throughout too. Like you can, you can, work hard and have it result in the results you want in a lot of areas of life. And that's been shown to me in my life. But then this is a scenario, just a reality that you can't actually control everything. It's fertility is certainly out of the realm of control. You do what you can, but the end result can't be like, you know, you can't muscle your way to it as much as we try. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, so did they ever tell you what they thought the issue was that was keeping you from becoming pregnant? Like what, what was the cause of it? Or did they say it was, you know, technically they were unsure it's like undiagnosed or. Yeah, it was like, I think it landed as being undiagnosed infertility, but Mm -hmm. from my, like, I would say observation, it's likely an egg quality concern Mm. just based on the information we had with everything else like just the the Mm -hmm. quality of the embryos were poor it would seem like it would be yeah a result of Mm -hmm. egg qualities would have been my best guess but there Mm -hmm. wasn't anything like officially confirmed Mm -hmm. so what helped you kind of say okay this is it this is the last time we're gonna do this like because I know some people, especially older folks like us, um, me, not you, but me, um, we, you know, in our 40s, we know our time is going to run out eventually. Like we're we're older and we know that eventually that we're going to run out of eggs. It's just going to stop. Right. And um, so sometimes, you know, at least for me, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but for me, I have a hard time stopping because I know my time is very, very limited. Um, and so I want to yeah. keep going until I run out until I have no other options. It's not realistic because I don't have that amount of money <laughs> because uh, fertility is very, intri- uh, very expensive and I don't have unlimited funds. Like, so it's unrealistic, but yes. in my mind, I have a hard time yeah. saying, okay, I, I think, 
Yeah. So what, you know, for some people who may be sitting on the fence trying to figure out if maybe they want to know, like for themselves, how did you decide, okay, I feel good about this. This is the right time for me to say I'm done. This is Yeah. I think there was a combination of things for me um, because it's so intensive as many people know, listening, like the process is so intensive. It's just so draining. And I just, at the time, I think I completely burnt out. I was just like, I had gone from like this complete over-functioning mode of taking everything, going to all the appointments, getting acupuncture, exercising, eating well, just like to the nth degree. Like I was just so, so spreading myself in and my whole world was that that I just think I, I, I met up with burnout. And so I didn't feel like there was the option to keep going for me. Like it was just like I, I had hit a wall, like a mental exhaustion, physical exhaustion wall. And I could not, it wasn't in the cards for me to move forward. And so to me, it just felt very clear. And I think to get to that point, I probably knew subconsciously I was getting there. And so part of the grieving process of what I'd imagined my things, how things would work out. I probably was grieving a little bit along the way as I arrived at that place of like, yeah, not a, not one step forward. I know it's not at all that clear of a decision for most people. Most people like everything seems something else will be a barrier. Like either. Yeah. I know finances would certainly come in uh, into play and time and, you know, how, how are you wanting to spend your time moving forward? But I can see it's very addictive, right? You're in the process. Like we did six, looking back, I probably wouldn't have done six IUIs. I'd probably stop at three and had moved on to IVF sooner than that. But you just get into a rhythm. You go and you do your ultrasounds and your blood work and you're just like, okay, and the next cycle comes and you just go because you're just pursuing fervently this um, outcome we're hoping for. Yeah, and I think that the other issue is is because you never know. And it's like you said, you can put in all the work and do all the stuff. Yeah. And it does not guarantee anything. There is no, the only guarantee is that there is no guarantee. Like that is the only guarantee that you have. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I, I think it's for me when that happens, I'm like, well, maybe the next one, because you never know the next one is because it's all, sure. each one is different. Right. And so you're like, well, maybe it's the next one. Yeah. Maybe it's the next one. And it's, it's like, it's like gambling, <laughs> you know, you're like, maybe totally. it's like the next hand, I'll win the next hand. I'm sure I'll win the next hand. I'll win my money back. We'll be able to do, it'll be fine. We'll just try again. And, yes. um, and I, I think it's sure. so easy, like you said, to get sucked into that mentality when you're in the thick of it, mm-hmm. because you just, oh yeah, you just want it so bad. Part of it, I mean, part of it, you just want it so bad, but part of it is for me anyway, I don't understand you know, like, I don't understand mm-hmm. why it's not working, but like, maybe yeah. if I change something, then the next time For sure. will be different. Or maybe I just need to do it like I did this one time that I had good, um, like numbers or whatever, then, okay, I'll just go back and try and replicate that. And then maybe that will help this next one. Yeah. And so you're constantly trying to change things to kind of get this favorable outcome. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, there's no guarantee that it's going to happen, but you can't help yourself, you know, when you're in it and you're oh, like, no. I just want it. It's like, that's probably, 
you know, and I can't speak for you, but probably for the IUIs, you're like, okay, well, maybe the next one we'll be able to get it. Like maybe we'll see more foggles or whatever, or I'll change my supplement. Yeah, exactly. Change mm-hmm. this, the research shows this, or you think, well, I put this much effort in. So if I just keep building on that effort, the likelihood of a different outcome will increase mm-hmm. when in reality mm-hmm. it will work or it won't work. And each time is a new time where it will work or it won't work. It's not just like this increasing percentage likelihood over time. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, it plays yeah. with you. Yeah, you get totally. To into it. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, so after you finished your last cycle, you guys said mm-hmm. that um, you decided to take a break. So what happened during that yeah. break? We didn't talk about family building. We didn't talk about fertility treatments. We didn't talk about anything related because we just both needed a complete, like a complete break to have a fresh frame of mind in our steps moving forward. So that was good. That was an important thing for us to do. It was healthy for us to do. And it allowed us to just like each in our own way, kind of process what we had just been through. Cause it's, it's all traumatic, right? Like the whole process of infertility is just very overwhelming. And so just to let the dust settle, um, find, find our new footing without doing all the fertility treatments and decide what would be best. So since we had, um, planned on adoption, even prior to us, um, getting married, we, it was a natural next step where we're like, okay, we like, we refreshed, we revisited, and then we kind of, um, created this this space to have a conversation about how we um, work towards building our family through adoption. And how long was this break? How long did you give yourself? I think it was like four months or something. Like oh. it's not a long time. Yeah. Some people probably need, would have need, would need more time than that. Mm-hmm. Separation. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once we had decided that, yes, we were going to pursue adoption, then we knew that the work was in like the paperwork at the start. And then you wait so then there was a lot of processing and mm. recovering happening um, at that point too. Mm-hmm. And did you think of, um, or did you consider other options like egg donor or anything like that or embryo adoption or anything? Did that cross your mind at all? I, yeah, we did talk about it. it there's so it it gets so it's so intricate, right? There's so many mm-hmm. different ways to build a family. There's so many different things like that that are available, and I think um, I think we kind of said that if we were going to get for us, just what what felt good for us, yeah, would be that if we were going to get to a space where we were going to be using different DNA, that we would we would move forward with adoption as opposed to moving forward with the, um, any like embryo adoption or egg donor options. Um, I feel like those things are maybe even a little bit more common that now than even when I was going through it, or I'm, I didn't know anyone who was doing anything like that at the time. That's just kind of where we landed on it, but I, it's great. There's so many different options for people. Yeah. Yeah. And did you, because adoption has always been kind of in your family plan, did you already know kind of what you needed to do or did you walk into it just completely like, uh, now what? (laughs) Cause it can't be so complex. Yeah. It's very complex. It's very, very complex, but yeah, I just, we just started Googling and we were on like different government websites talking about different different what was required and then we just kind of launched the 
brain brain space we were using for fertility stuff and navigating mm-hmm. that and launch that into the adoption stuff to get our to get everything lined up. Once once mm-hmm. you get rolling, it's like a systematic process, and mm-hmm. if you can go through infertility, you can definitely like. There's something. It was kind of freeing in a sense because we just had to do paperwork, not mm-hmm. appointments, blood draws, take these hormones yeah. that make you feel like you're going to lose it. <laughs> yeah, totally. So it, was, it felt like there was a bit more control in the process of like achieving and getting everything together that we needed to get together. So that actually was therapeutic for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, so did you first look into domestically? I know you're in Canada. I don't know what's all involved yeah. in adoption in Canada. So can you speak a little bit to that and like what that was like yeah. and then kind of what led you to look internationally? Yeah. So we, I, I know some people who just like kind of work locally in the adoption agencies and the the challenge that I came to at that time was they always like it's it's important obviously for families to stay with their families where they when they can and so Mm -hmm. um and then if you're going to do private adoption there's always the chance that someone changes their mind Mm -hmm. 30 days of an adoption taking place Mm -hmm. and so at the time I had zero emotional reserves to mm-hmm. handle something like that. And mm-hmm. so there was an element of like certainty that mm-hmm. I was looking for. Um, mm-hmm. And it's something, sometimes you just can't, you can't, you don't know, it's hard to put words into like wh- why and how things came to be. It just felt mm-hmm. like the right decision for us to mm-hmm. adopt internationally and then specifically to Thailand. There's just, mm-hmm. Just a sense and a knowing, I don't know how to describe that, but it just, that felt like the right decision for us. Mm-hmm. Locally, I think it was like between two to seven years where there could be a match and often with an oh my older gosh. child. So it's uh-huh. not, uh, adoption is very different uh, in different places, but kind of where, where I am, it's, it mm-hmm. can be a very, very long process. Mm-hmm. And so that felt overwhelming to consider. And how did you explore international adoption? Like how did you find out that Thailand or did you look at any other countries or only Thailand or how did you figure that out? Yeah. So just, we kind of just went through as kind of a bit of a process of elimination and then where, what felt right. We had friends who had adopted their daughter from Thailand. And so we had um, seen their process and we had explored some different countries and there were like various reasons where it was not the right fit for us. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, there's like a website where, you know, from where we are, different countries that you're able to adopt from and then what the requirements mm-hmm. are. So sometimes there's an automatic mm-hmm. like requirement where if you're not going to go live in a country for eight months or something, then it's not, you're not able to adopt from there. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Thailand felt like a really good fit for us for a variety of reasons. And we had seen our friends walk through that. We know that they have great homes there and take great care of their children. And there was like pretty strict requirements as to who was able to adopt from there, which demonstrates like their care and concern for their kids. Mm -hmm. So it felt like a great fit and it turned out to be a perfect fit actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And did you have like a top, three or five countries that you're like, okay, these things are, or these countries are, are good. I'm going to look into these. 
or not so much? Because I'm just thinking for some people who are thinking about international adoption and, you know, and they don't know where to start. Like what were some countries you thought were that you liked that you thought were favorable? It's hard to answer because at the time when we were going through it, things have changed. Mm -hmm. So even with Thailand, the weight to the weight to be matched has been increased almost double what it was for oh my we gosh. had gone through it. And when we had first gone through places like South Korea, you could get matched within six months and that's completely changed. Now it's a much longer wait. And mm. so the things changed. So all of that was factored in. How long was the wait we were considering at the time um, adopting from Haiti and then through looking into it and actually speaking with the the international adoption agency, they were just advising us like they have families that were waiting for more than 10 years. And so again, once you're like, when you're, once you speak with an agency, they can give Mm -hmm. like detailed information about the different programs, how strong of a relationship the agency has with the country, how Mm -hmm. to expect. And then every country has international adoption countries that are you can adopt from so there's mm-hmm. not like anywhere in the world there'd be like mm-hmm. maybe like 15 countries that mm. were available at the time and then there's charts on like government websites that we reviewed as like what the requirements are mm-hmm. um yeah so it's hard to answer that because it's, it's very location specific yeah and couple specific so the first step would be to find an international adoption agency. Would that be the yeah. first step you think if someone was interested? Yes. Okay. If someone was interested, it'd be to go and it's usually it's a government, it'd be a government, uh, like the government would show on their, on their website where you are, mm-hmm. like which, um, which countries are available and open for international adoption. And then Mm -hmm. you can go to the agency that's working with those countries and then get more information about that. Yeah. Okay. So when you guys decided it was Thailand that you were going to go to, did you have, like, were there any um, concerns about adoption? I know it's something that you had always thought about, um, but did you ever think like, you know, from your genetic space, did you think like, did you have to grieve your genetics or anything like that saying, you know, like, oh, like, I'm not going to have my own genetic children. Was that an issue for you? Or did you or did you have concerns about bonding or anything like that? I know sometimes those things come up for people. For sure. Yeah, I think part of the letting go of the fertility world was part of the grieving process, like uh, creating space for that. So I definitely don't have any concerns now about that whatsoever. And our son's been with us now for a year and a half, like Mm -hmm. zero concerns. And, and, but at the time, yeah, I think I had, there was a letting go kind of a surrendering, like, okay, our, our, our life's plan is going to look different than what I'd imagined. Um, so there was a process there for sure. Um, Sorry, the genetics thing and then and then bonding yeah it was it's interesting right it's like okay what would what does that look like and how is that going to go and then going through all the adoption like courses that we went through like they kind of tell you all the what if scenarios which some of them are kind of like stressful to consider and what could mm-hmm. go wrong because it's going to be you to be very prepared and all the challenges that can be faced 
understandably so. And yeah, but then the reality of it is that, yeah, only one and a half years into being a mom to our son, like it, he's the perfect little boy for our family. Like we're such a good match and the bonding is like, he's amazing. <laughs> like we, we just connect so well. I couldn't even imagine. And the interesting thing is truly is that I have like absolutely zero desire to like have a biological child now, mm-hmm. which is like mm-hmm. unheard of considering the depths of despair I was in the midst yeah. of infertility. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting journey. Can you speak to like the matching process? What is that like? Like what happens when they um, match you? And I know you can only speak to your own experience, but yeah. what does that involve? Like, do you just send them information about yourselves and then they like, how does that work? Yeah. So part of the adoption process, like the paperwork involved is like collecting a ton of data you, you have someone like we had someone come into our home and did like a home study where they just mm. gather a bunch of information about us as a couple, you know, obviously they give you, you have to give your like financial information, medical information, and they walk around your home and, you know, talk about who you are and they, they, they create a huge report and that report is what gets sent to the homes where they'll be matched. And so they take that information and then match with a child. Mm-hmm. So we, we just, we, you can put in like some information. So for us, it was just like an age, like we wanted younger, a younger child. Um, so that was something that we had itemized. And then we, yeah, then they, then they matched us. So they, they do the matching at the home and then we were presented with, our son's file. And then what happens after that? Once you get your son's file or, or this, your potential adoption yeah. uh, file, what happens you, after that? Yeah, we got, we got a phone call to let us know that we were matched with our son and had some photos and some information. And then from that, we just confirm like accepting it, which we did. And then after that point in time, there for Thailand, it was about six months before traveling. Um, so you, we, we got matched with our son and then it was like six months before we were going to be going actually to travel to meet him and bring him home. COVID happened. So it ended up being like eight or nine months. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, but then, then we went to Thailand and that's different for each country too. So there's some countries where you go and you travel and you visit first and then you go back home and you go back. So it was another thing for us. It was important for us to like travel one time and not have like that experience of traveling and then leaving your own child that you've been matched with. So for us, it worked out well to go to Thailand, meet, and then bring our son home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, and I'm sure it happened. So, you know, let's say for those who, for whatever reason, the match doesn't work out for them in, cause you said you have to confirm, right? Yeah. So what happens if they say, if the parents decide no, or whatever, or maybe this isn't a good match for us for whatever reason. Yeah. So do then they find another match or do you know what happens after that? I think what would, I don't know for sure. Cause I don't know anyone who's had that experience, but I, I believe that if you, then you would just get your, you would just stay in the system. And then if they found another match, they would align that with you. 
but for some people, like you can, you can specify things. So like, if you know, you know, taking on something in terms of like medical history that you don't feel comfortable with, you can itemize that in your profile. So then you would actually only like the, your own government. So for us, it's like the Canadian government would approve us for, uh, for certain things, but then you get matched accordingly. So it's matched pretty specifically because all of the legwork goes in before creating the profile. So, but if for whatever reason, yeah, there wouldn't, it wouldn't have been a match, then I think you just get put back and they match you again when the right match comes up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Did you have any thoughts about like, so bringing your son home from Thailand, did you have any thoughts about, you know, I know it comes up where people worry about having the culture with the child to bring some of the back. Did you, did that ever come up? Did you ever have any concerns about that? Or did you um, yeah. have any thoughts on that going into it? Yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge thing to be concerned, considerate about, um, you know, being, trying to maintain both cultures in the home is important for a sense of comfort and um, sense of self. So those are things that we learned quite a bit about when we were taking our like adoption courses ahead of time. So we've done a lot of mm-hmm. reading about that. So actually even this afternoon, like my son and I have Thai lessons that we'll be taking online. Oh, that's great. So we take language lessons and we just had Thai food today for lunch. <laughs> restaurant, Thai owned restaurant. Um, so, and we watch like our, we watch some little shows in Thai. We have some different friends. We, we actually have, we know for family, there's four of us families in the area who have families that all look similar mm-hmm. um, that we've all adopted from Thailand. And mm-hmm. so we get, we have our kids together and yeah, it's important to maintain, maintain the Thai culture in our home for sure. Mm-hmm. And did your, did your, were your families supportive of all of this or did you have a discussion with them or do they, do they have any, thoughts or anything about all of this? We were really fortunate with our families being like really supportive mm-hmm. of us. Mm-hmm. Um, they knew what we'd been through. They were so excited that this was the route that we were going. And then since then, like they were so supportive while we were away and when we came back and even still. So we actually, I have three sisters and we all live within like five minutes of each other. So our kids all play together often. So there, it's been a very positive experience for us as far as support goes from both sides of our family, which has been amazing. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember how old your son is, but um, are are there thoughts or considerations, obviously, of how um, you'll talk to your son about his story and how how you guys became a family. Um, Cause that's something I think people also think about too. And there's, you know, for sure how, how you tell them sometimes can have such an impact on how they receive that information, their experience with, you know, their story as they get older. Yeah. So do you have thoughts on that or do you have um, things that you would recommend for people if this is the route that they're going? Yeah. For us, it's just like open communication. So we talk about it often. We like, we always look at pictures from Thailand when we were there. We have stories and books on adoption, lots of them. So we kind of talk through it regularly. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it's every, every child will be different. My son is just so in the moment that he mm-hmm. just like, just kind of bops around and he's like totally fine. But so we talk about it openly and he's, he's doesn't need a deep dive conversation at mm-hmm. least at this stage. He's mm-hmm. just, he's four years old. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, okay, mom, let's just go play baseball. Yeah. <laughs> um, but each stage, like, I think, I think every stage will be a little bit, you know, you carry the same conversation on, but there's different meanings and nuances and questions and concerns that will come up at different stages, but it's just a very open conversation for us. We'll regularly kind of just read through like celebrating adoption books, or um, we have like a life book for him. So pictures that he has from when he, from before we met him, pictures when we met him when we were in Thailand. And so we just, we kind of go through that too. And I'll just leave it open for him to ask questions, but he doesn't usually ask many questions, but he's absorbing the information. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. We're just going to take a quick break. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I know infertility is a stressful time, and we often don't provide ourselves with enough self-care. One way to give ourselves a little more self-care is with Pranamat's acupressure mats. This is what you can do. Give yourself about 20 minutes to lie down, and within those 20 minutes, this is what you're going to experience. There's going to be an increase in blood flow, a surge of endorphins, relief of muscular tension, and finally, a euphoric calm of the mind and body. So if you're due for some unwinding after a long day, go to pranamat.com and check out their different massage mat sets. Because the 40 and Infertile Podcast is a Pranamat affiliate, 40 and Infertile Podcast listeners get a special offer by using the code 40 and infertile. That's the number four, the number zero, and A-N-D, infertile, I-N-F-E-R-T-I-L-E, all one word. And now back to our episode. So it's not something that we shy away from discussing. It's very open and free to talk about. And these adoption courses that you were taking, were they like, were they government um, or did you find someone who offered these adoption courses? So they're required for like, so there's like the home study, Mm -hmm. which you have like a practitioner come to your home and do that. Mm -hmm. Then there's like a, yeah, there's a government course that's required. It's like a two weekends. Mm -hmm. And then... There's another course that we took through our international adoption agency, and it's a requirement through their through their agency, mm-hmm. which was another weekend that mm-hmm. we had done. Mm-hmm. And then from there, they give like recommended readings and stuff like that. So there's tons of books and content to like explore further things like attachment and bonding mm-hmm. and international adoption challenges and things to consider. Um so there, then there's some strategies with that. So there's actually, there's a lot of information that it was actually, I remember going to the weekend, my husband and I were both like, you know, hopefully we just meet people who are going through the same thing. And then, you know, whatever they are talking about is fine. But we went, we're like, okay, no, everyone who's becoming a parent should go through these courses. Like it was really helpful. It was, it brought along great conversations and it was really helpful. And the only reason why I'm saying that is like, maybe if there are, some families out there who are not supportive of 
international adoption or adoption in general, like I'm just thinking what resources might be available for them if they feel like, I mean, you know, fortunately you had support, but you know, for some people they may not be met with, you know, this great support. I'm just trying to think what resources might be out there for them so that they can get the support they need and maybe not feel like they're doing this all alone, you know? I think when we, so the, those courses are things that you like have to take. And then in that process, we end up meeting some great friends. And so then we, in those friendships, then we like, we kind of traveled through the nitty gritty with them, like the paperwork and stuff like that. Um, I know there's an adoption practitioner in Toronto area. Her name is Sophie Sturgianis and she operates like a, even a family course. So for families who have like, who have family members going through adoption, she kind of helps with like giving some good, some language and strategies and information so that they can be of support or how they can support or get information about that. So I know she has, she has a children's book and and I believe a website to, to um, with further information or the course that she operates. So during this whole thing, what do you think is the most, what was the most challenging thing for you? for this whole adoption process? It was the, for us, it was just the waiting. Like once we had been matched with our son, we were ready to go and meet our son. And then, yeah. So it was the, the waiting. I mean, at the same time, you kind of build that waiting muscle through going through infertility. So it was something we had done before and you figure out a way, but that, that was, that was the challenging part for us. The actual process, like the paperwork, this, process was pretty smooth considering you know some stories we'd heard from other people going through it so that was it was it was the waiting so and then when covid that interfered with our travel and so we didn't know when we would travel and so that part was that part was overwhelming because it was like an absolute can't control curveball thrown into something that otherwise had been trucking along like very well so, yeah, it's it's waiting. Were, were there any challenges w- when? Waiting. Yeah, right. Because you need more waiting time. <laughs> are there um, are there any challenges in bringing him home, like getting citizenship in Canada or anything like that? Because um, I don't know that anyone talks about that either. Are there any challenges with that? We haven't had challenges. It's just a, a delay. So it's actually we're still waiting to. We're going to go to Ottawa. Um, to finalize things, we got like the invite. We're just waiting for paperwork to kind of go where it needs to go. And so in the next couple of months, we'll be traveling to like finalize the, finalize the adoption, finalize like the citizenship component. So even, yeah, a year and a half later, we've not completed that part. And it's just literally a matter of the behind the scenes process of it. Not something, it's not something you can kind of speed up. It's just slow. So those are, they're not necessarily challenges. They're just the realities. And and it's just like a slow moving process. So like all the like government paperwork and stuff like that, like even like birth certificates and stuff like that, does, does that all just come over for you? And then you just, um, it's just all the, the Thai paperwork, like his date of birth and his birth name or whatever from over there. Um, does that all just come over and then do you submit that to the Canadian government or what happens after that? You start like citizenship paperwork prior to even being matched. Oh, okay. Is how it runs in Canada. Mm-hmm. So we opened up um, 
starting the citizenship paperwork, you just put adoption instead of the name and mm-hmm. just you fill out the information that you can as part of the adoption process. Oh, okay. And then then you get the paperwork. It's just like, it's like this interaction between the Thai government and the Canadian government. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of one step at a time and that you're my agency, like the agencies mm-hmm. of the adoption just kind of send you, okay, no, this is the next step. Okay. Okay. okay here's the next step. So it's pretty hand fed depending on where you are and where you've adopted from. Yeah. Cause I was just thinking like, Oh, are you stuck figuring this out all on your own? <laughs> you have no idea no. what to do, but it sounds like you have a lot of support. So it's not like you're left to like flounder on your own. Yeah. Okay. I feel out of touch with the paperwork we currently have going. My husband has that part under control. Yeah. I, I started it out and then now I'm like, I'm so far, I'm so confused. <laughs> so it's, but it is like the agency is kind of like observing and monitoring uh-huh. and supporting along the way. So that part, that support is not over until it's like totally complete. Oh, okay. So until you have all your paperwork and everything and you're good to go, then they say, okay. We're, we're officially out of here. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and then what's something that you wish you knew or you wish you had known to make the whole process easier with adoption? So if you can like the knowledge that you have now, if you could go back and, you know, a couple years, what would you tell yourself mm-hmm. differently to make it easier? That's a good question. I feel like I'm just, I look back with rose colored glasses on this experience because it's turned out so well. So Mm -hmm. I'm having a hard time, like thinking through the challenging components. You know how that happens sometimes? Yeah. It's like, yeah, the end result has been really great. We were matched with like our, our son has been a perfect match. And yeah. So I might have to think on that one. Yeah. Well, I guess let's, let me ask you this. Would you do it again? Mm -hmm. Experiencing what you had experienced, the ups, the downs, everything, would you do it again? Uh, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. To be where we are now, Mm -hmm. I I would knowingly go through every single step of of every challenge Mm -hmm. up to this point Mm -hmm. and do it again in like without question. Yeah. Yeah. I think because that just kind of speaks to the process, obviously, if you're like, oh my gosh, this is like the most challenging things like I would have done without this or that. But it sounds like fortunately your process, your experience has been very positive. So that's really wonderful. It has been, mm-hmm. it has been, and it's not for everyone. And I know that, and I knew mm-hmm. that going into it. So I think I was kind of a bit more like cautious going into it, knowing the challenges that could, is certainly a reality for, mm-hmm. for a lot of people mm-hmm. going through this. And then looking back, I'm just like, no, things have worked out very well. And I'm really f- feel fortunate. I feel so grateful um, that it has. Yeah. Um, and, and then tell me about your book, your Infertility Lies book. Mm-hmm. How did that come to be? Yeah, I think that was so 2018 when we closed out our infertility journey um, and ended treatments that's kind of where the, like, I mean, that mental, emotional burnout took place. And then as part of my process of working through that, those experiences, I wanted to spend, I wanted to just like write things out, like kind of what would I tell my younger self, what I wish I knew I had a time 
um, what would have been helpful for me to know so I felt less alone in going through the process. And so then I just started writing out like all my thoughts. So over the next few years, I wrote the book. And the premise of it was kind of like lies that infertility had led me to believe. And then my my process of working through that and coming to um, changing my mindset on some things along the way, like being infertile meant I was inadequate, just kind of kind of those those lies that I knew were lies along the way. But uh, I wanted to kind of flush those things out for myself. And then in the hopes of supporting someone else going through the fertility journey themselves. Well, and I think too, because on there, you talk about your or at least on your account, you talk about um, your experience with miscarriage, which, you know, I, I've talked about this in other episodes, too. I I don't think anybody ever prepares you for what that experience is no. like. And nobody talks about, I don't know what your OBGYN told no. you, but my OBGYN is like, well, you'll have some, what did she say? Some moderate cramping or something. And I was like, okay. Cause I had, I had miscarried and then it was like, I found out probably like a month later that I miscarried, but I had kind of called them and I said, Hey, I think, I think something's wrong. Cause all my symptoms are gone. And like, I think, yeah. I, I don't think there's a pregnancy anymore. And they're like, oh, are you bleeding? I said, no. And they're like, oh, well, don't worry about it. Just worry. Like, everything's fine unless you have bleeding. Yeah. Just worry about it when you come in. And so when I went in, there was no heartbeat. And then they're like, well, we dated it, you know, about a month earlier. So it's already been a month wow. since you miscarried plus or minus based on the size. So they they based on, yeah. on the size that how many weeks gestation I was. And so I was like, okay, right. well, what happens next? And then so they gave me the misoprostol or side attack, right? And so they said, your option was that or a DNC. They're like, I'll give you a week, but really it's been kind of a long time. So you get a week. And then if nothing happens during that week, then we got to go in and do a DNC. <clears throat> so I said, okay. Yeah. So she's like, here's the pills, you know, because I said, all right, I'll, I'll do the pills because I'd rather just do it at home and not have like a whole big procedure yeah. around it. And so I did it at home and she said, oh, there'll be some moderate cramping or some, some version of that, right? I was like, oh, okay. She's like, do you want some pain medicine? And I was like, no, I think it'll be fine. I can handle some cramping, right? Um, and But she's like, ah, oh, maybe just get it anyway. So I said, okay, fine. <clears throat> the amount of pain <laughs> that I was oh, in, yeah. I was like, nobody told me that that's how painful yeah. it could be. But that was it. That was like the, um, that was the amount of information I got. I was like, oh, you're going to get some bad cramping. I don't know what information you got, but I feel like... That None. needs to be discussed. Like when, if people miscarry, they just send you home sure. to like experience it, but they don't like tell you all the, and then like the other thing I said that um, I had brought up in another episode, when you miscarry, like you pass the products of conception, right? And then I thought I saw it. I don't know, but I saw something, right? And I was like, oh, well, yeah, it's in the toilet now. I know. What do I just flush it or do, what what do I do like you know like nobody talks about yeah. that either it's horrifying it's horrifying you know like you don't yeah. know what you're supposed to do at that point because nobody ever tells yes. you what that feels like because that feels it's a very it's going through like this extreme stress overwhelm grief so you can't even think straight and then, and then, yeah, those situations happen exactly. You're like, yeah, what, what am I supposed to do right now? Like, how am I supposed to be feeling? 
Yeah. Yeah. But I think like it's that and then some of the different, I think, things that you brought up to, um, you know, the different lies that and, and I think it's so true that infertility does um, make you feel less than, you know, like mm-hmm. it does feel like, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I, I don't know how if this is how you felt. But for me, I thought, well, I must it feels like you're less than a, a woman, like any other woman. For you know sure. what I mean? Because you're like, I can't. Why don't my parts work like this other person's parts? <laughs> like, yeah, this is what we're supposed to do. Well, I don't. And then you can't. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yes. Like biologically, I feel like the plumbing yes. <laughs> was built to just do that. Yes. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And, you're like, that's all it, in its simplest form. Yes. That's its function. And it's not doing that. And then the other thing I think you bring up too, one of your other lies, I think you said was um, that, uh, you know, effort equates success right. kind of thing. Like, you know, we got to keep, we got to keep trying, got to go harder. And um, as we kind of talked about earlier, that does not mean doesn't in so many areas of life it does right you like study harder and you get a better grade you train harder and you're more successful in their physical efforts for a race or something you put more effort into a relationship you have a better relationship like in most situations in life you can you can work hard and then have your efforts be rewarded with the end result you're hoping for and it's just so not the case in fertility it's pretty disruptive of the whole like concept of life work for something and then you get it. Um, but at the same time, I think it was helpful for me to go through that in in my work too, because people can, you know, eat healthy and do everything and you can still have a heart attack. You can, you can do these things. You can still have a health outcome. That's not what not desirable or a good disease process that you haven't brought on yourself. Um, so it, it was just, it's helpful to just kind of realize, you know, we're, we're human beings. We're not, you know, we're not machines that just operate. So it, it's, it was helpful for like empathy and compassion for people going through things that were like totally out of their control. It feels like they got, you know, they, they got overwhelmed, but when they received that information or news about their own health too, so it's been, it's been helpful to be able to relate to people in that way. Well, and I think it's so important to bring up too, because I think there's so much out there that's like, Oh, if you just do X and Y and Z, then your success will be, you know, so much higher, like just eat healthier, just do this diet or just do that diet or just take this supplement or whatever. And I think you have a very realistic outlook on it, which I think is really important, particularly if you're talking to people about it too, because I think some people are misinformed or maybe provided some false hope about what, um, what some things can and cannot do yeah, for them. Definitely. And sometimes I feel like that's so hard. You know what I mean? Because I mean, we're all desperate. Like yeah. all of us who are in this club yes. that nobody wants to be in, we're all desperate. We all want yes. it. So yes, we will eat friggin' spinach on a Tuesday when there's yeah. a full moon, <laughs> like, you know, with seven cloves of garlic, because, you know, if you tell me to do that, yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. I will like, I will do that. I will, I will try it, you know, but I think it's a realistic infertility. Patients are the most compliant. Yeah, 
do anything and everything like to the nth degree and then some yes because it's yeah you're if there's a there is a desperation like there is a desperate desire it's and that's innate right you innately want to be a parent and yeah it's hard to reconcile when it doesn't pan out that way but i think it's so important that you um, make that distinction that it's not a guarantee that like you can do all these things and you can yeah. take all these steps. And you know what? Sometimes for whatever reason, um, it doesn't work and it sucks. It really does suck. But, yeah. you know, after after that, you know, depending on, you know, who it is, every family will have, you know, whatever path they want to choose afterwards, whether or not they want to continue trying or they want to go the route like you did adoption or, you know, third party reproduction or whatever they want to do. Um, but I think it's important yeah. to kind of put out there too, that, you know, like just to have be open to what potential might come. Cause yeah. I also thought like, Oh, it, IVF's the guarantee. Like I thought in the beginning, like, right. oh, you just do IVF. Yes. That's the solution, right? You hear all these stories and they're like, That's oh, the final ticket. Yeah. If you oh, just yeah. do that, you're, you're going to be fine. That's, but you know, I'm four cycles in and not really any closer to my goals. And it yes. really, um, made me kind of not really come to terms, but kind of be open to, like, okay, yeah, this may or may not do anything for me. I'm still going to try because I'm, you know, stubborn. Yeah. And <laughs> I, uh, you know, I really want to try and see what I can do for my own genetics. But um, it's definitely something that I did not expect to kind of really have to come to terms with because um, I just thought, Oh, totally. This is going to, this is going to fix everything. Um, and then at, the longer yeah. you're in it, <clears throat> I think some of these lies that you're talking about, the longer you're in it, the more I think they become um, stuff that you think about, you know, because then the longer you're in it, you're like, oh, oh yeah. I'm a failure. Oh, like, you know, um, this is just such a horrible process. And like, you know, this is, this is my life. This is what I am the infertile. You know what I mean? And it becomes this identity totally. that I you have. With that. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think, you know, and you know, you're like, you feel inadequate. You don't feel like you're, you know, a, you know, a real, a real quote unquote woman. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. I think, I think that having that, um, I think experience for me um, kind of makes me think, okay, like there are other options and this doesn't define me this, although it feels like it yeah. while you're in it, that it feels like you're for it, sure. it totally defines you and that's your space that you're going to be in. But um, I think having a book like this is nice to kind of say, Hey, wait a minute, like give yourself some grace. This space is yeah. already like, super crummy to be in and you already are going through so much you don't need to add more negative energy to that space to like just beat yourself up yes that's my hope like a chem companion for people going through infertility Mm -hmm. so if people want to find your book where could they find it where can they get it it is available on amazon okay wonderful and uh i'm assuming it ships internationally yeah it does okay yeah it ships internationally awesome yeah um there are some questions um that came up that were submitted so let's get to these questions sure 
And this first one is any tips for the waiting three year IVF journey already one year adoption wait and looking at two years more. Hmm. Yeah. Waiting is hard. It's the hardest part of everything to do with family building when it does not come at the time that you're hoping for. My suggestion would be to continue doing things that are make that you enjoy the things that make you, you for myself, it was important for me to like be on the baseball team in the summer and play rec co-ed baseball with friends and read books that I was interested in and just kind of like engage in things that, that brought me joy that I enjoyed that made me feel like me, especially after IVF. So for me, I kind of, I signed up for a half marathon. I kind of just like needed to channel my energy into something that felt good, that kind of just got me, brought me back to myself. And so for me, that's like exercise and hanging out with friends and learning new skills and reading books and connecting with family. And so when I knew I was doing the adoption process, then I just, I had a better space too to spend time with like my nieces and nephews along, along the way too. So just kind of investing in the people that I love and care about while I have the time to do that. Um, so just really finding the things that maybe brought you joy before you started infertility and introducing the things back into your life while you're waiting so that you just feel back connected to yourself as an individual, not yourself as someone who is infertile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably true of lots of people going through infertility. Like you kind of lose yourself in the process. Yeah. And I think it's important for sure that you continue Absolutely. to do things that are um, like, they, like don't involve any of that to just kind of separate your mind and body yeah. from the constant yeah. barrage of emotions or yes. um, physical things yeah. that happen to you. Like, you know, after retrieval, um, it's hard not to, because, you know, you're waiting for your results and stuff like that. It's not, oh, it's yeah. hard not to get sucked into that and then just kind of tie. And, and then of course you like, beat yourself up over stuff too. I'm like, Oh, maybe I would have done this and it would have helped this or it could have done that. And then you just spend so much time beating yourself up. So I think just even in infertility, if you're, um, if you're going through that to find time to just step away, even for a moment to give yeah. yourself a break, cause yeah. it's rough. I mean, emotionally, physically, it's, it's just rough. rough. Totally. And um, a good friend of mine is a counselor and she kind of reminded me of the strategy of just having boundaries around your mind, which I write about in my book as well. Just like how much time are you allowing yourself to think about things, especially things that you can't control? Like how much time are you going to like invest into? You want to have it more like contained when it's just going to be spiraled thinking around something that's stressful that you can't change and you're just waiting to learn. It's like, okay, I've kind of spent enough time there. time to move on time to go read that book time to go for a walk with that friend time to do something different that's going to just like shift your line of thinking so that you're not playing into that and drawing back into that space of overwhelm all the time um okay the next question i don't know if you'll know the answer to this but um having gone through some of the um requirements you might um it says not a question but uh would love to know which countries allow single woman adoptions did, do you know if any of the ones you looked at 
allowed single adoptions? Yeah, I know that Thailand does. I know someone in our area who um, pursued adoption and she was single. Um, it's going to, that's going to be dependent on the country that you live in. And then, then you can observe where you can adopt from. And then that would be a part of that like requirement. So for us, it was just literally on like the um, Ontario government website where I live. And those are like among the specified requirements, like some countries allow and then some won't, but that's, that's clearly indicated. It should be clearly indicated on some, on a government website where she, where people are. Okay. So this one is a little bit of a complicated question, but, um, We'll see. Okay. Um, so this one, let me see how it starts because it's kind of like a two-part. <laughs> um, see, okay. laws and international transnational sensitivity to know per the Blue Bayou movie. Um, and um, uh, this person is Korean-American and considering Korean adoption is international more harm than good. Is international adoption more harm than good? I guess, I mean, you can only speak to your experience with Thailand, but I don't know what your thoughts are on that with sensitivity, with um, like um, adopting a different ethnic background than yours and then um, Mm -hmm. international adoption, whether or not um, that for you, that was a better option than domestic. But um, just what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, all kids need a home. And so there's a reason why international adoption exists. And for us, it's been a very positive experience. I know for some people, like when we were going through our courses, there were some, they, there were some international adoptees who came in to speak of their experience and some of the challenges that they faced. So if they were people who lived in a community and they didn't see anyone who represented them, that was negative for sure. It's very important for people to everyone to feel like they're represented in the community homes and you know places that they live it's critical for like psychological well-being so that's something that's like need to be prioritized and so it's not with international adoption it's not like you want to just assume that they're, they're going to be like exactly the same culture as your your culture and just have them enter into your culture but to have a family represent both cultures and to be really intentional about um, experiencing life from both cultures. So celebrating both cultures, eating foods from both cultures, being mindful of language and different exposures and festivals and that kind of thing. So um, it's, I'm sure there's some situations where it was a very harmful for people. That's, that's been expressed. That's why there's a lot of research around that, especially in the past 10 years about the importance of being represented wherever you are. But I think if there's an awareness about that, there's a sensitivity in your own family to provide that, then it, yeah, important. What do you, um, for the international adoptees that came and, and they spoke Mm -hmm. to you guys, um, what were some of the other struggles or what were some of the other things that they had a hard time with? Because you said one of them was when they didn't feel like 
when they didn't feel like they were represented. So like, what are some other things that kind of came up just so some people are aware and something to be mindful of? Because, you know, a lot of it is, yeah. I mean, we don't know because we weren't adopted internationally, right? So we don't know what that feels like and what yeah. that lived experience is. Sure. So I just kind of wanted to share yeah. what that lived experience might be for some of these yeah. people so that it's something that potential parents who are choosing to needs. adopt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the challenges was just like this sense of not feeling fully the culture they came from and not feeling fully the culture and identity that of the family that they're in. So just kind of feeling a bit misplaced in between the two worlds. So not maybe not be able to speak their lang the language of their original culture of um, or not fully embracing or fully, fully feeling connected to the culture of the family that they're in. So just kind of like this disconnect. So there's a book called interracial adoption. And so that, that was a book that I had read and I'd probably recommend it for somebody who was interested in this, just so that there's like a strong awareness of that piece of it, because it's so critical for emotional and emotional well-being for families and children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do do you think that having a therapist or anything would be helpful for the child as they're kind of growing up to kind of maybe if these things come up to work through some of this as they're oh, growing yeah. up? Is that something that yeah. you think about? For sure. Yeah, there's different, um, I would say like adoption literate practitioners. So like people who are very familiar with adoption, very familiar with international adoption, um, having, having counselors who are yeah, aware and able to speak to that, I think is a really wise thing. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm just thinking, I'm sure things come up, um, for some of these kids that are growing up, like kind of, like you said, you know, they might start trying to figure out what their identity is and what that means. Mm -hmm. And if they feel like they don't fit anywhere, cause as, I mean, you know, I wasn't an adopter or anything, but I was born in the U S but I'm Asian descent. And you kind of feel like people don't see you as fully American sometimes, but then yeah. like my, my parents and their family don't fully see me as a Chinese American because they're like, yeah. you're so Americanized and you have this right. like American accent when you speak Chinese and it's like, yes. so you don't, you feel like you're straddling these two cultures or you don't quite belong one place yeah. or another. So yeah. like, I can understand that feeling. I can't understand it exactly because I wasn't, you know, I didn't have to move yes. from a different country or anything like that. Yes. But I, I can understand feeling like you don't, your identity is like yeah. neither here nor there, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah. As you're growing up, I mean, that probably would have been good for me too, <laughs> even as I was growing up. For sure. I think yeah. everyone kind of has their like identity crisis and then there's just like an unknown a known additional challenge in with different circumstances that we're that we're born into. Yeah, I think everyone kind of goes through that. It's just there can there can be specific experiences if you're in this scenario. Well, if yeah. people wanted to connect with you or if they have more questions for you, how do they reach you? How do they connect with you? So they can reach me through my Instagram, which is infertility lies. And I can be reached there. Um, or my website is karensnow.ca and there's contact information there. 
Yeah. Okay, perfect. And um, are you good with people asking you questions about your experience about international adoption and that sort of thing? For sure. Yeah. Okay, super. Well, thanks so much for coming on today and sharing your experience and what it's been like and some tips and then definitely talking about some of these infertility things that we feel really crummy about and how we can feel a little less alone. Um, So thank you so much for that. I'm so grateful. Um, I'd love to kind of chat at some point in time too, to kind of see further down the road, if there's any challenges that come up or anything that you feel like you, you may have learned about the process later on, or kind of looking back um, for people who are considering international adoption and that sort of thing. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to connect. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. If you want a question or topic covered in future episodes, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at 40 and infertile. Make sure you hit the subscribe button for alerts and new episodes. And I hope to see you back again soon. Bye.